This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. Even though it is Thursday and not Wednesday, and even though this is Radio Parallax and not Dr. Andy's Poetry and Technology Hour, we wish to start off today's show by openly advocating for and promoting the reading of poetry. Yes, in our second segment today, we will air part two of our discussion begun last week with Catherine Holvine. Professor Emeritus of English at California State University, Sacramento, and the founder of The Readers of Homer. Tomorrow, Friday, June 22nd, starting at around 7, well, I guess doors open at 6.30, readings will start at 7.30, going to 7 a.m. Saturday, June 23rd in the morning. There'll be reading of poetry galore, in this case, Homer's The Odyssey. Yes, this is an audience participation reading. It will take place at Fairytale Town in Sacramento's William Land Park. For more information, we refer you to thereadersofhomer.com. But I can tell you we enjoyed immensely our talk with Catherine Holvine last week. And today's segment we think is just as good, so stay tuned for that in segment two. But let us begin today's program as we like to do with on this date in history, the date in question being June 21st. Usually every year, the summer solstice comes on June 21st or June 20th. This year, it was yesterday. And yes, that does mean that from now on, all the days are going to start getting shorter. It was on June 21st in 1633 that the Italian astronomer Galileo, whose celestial research was published in 1632 as Dialogue Concerning the Two Chief World Systems, is commanded by the Inquisition to abjure, curse, and detest his Copernican heliocentric views, which he was forced to do even though he was scientifically correct. And the spirit of these church morons lives on today in the creationist movement. Here's one I did not know. On June 21st in 1893, visitors to the World Columbian Exposition in Chicago were privileged to ride the world's first Ferris wheel. Here's one I think Mr. McMillan hasn't heard. On June 21st in 1926, the 50th Wimbledon Tennis Tournament opened in England with Prince Albert, the Duke of York, a contender in the doubles matches. Did you know that? I did not. And no, Radio Parallax is unable to confirm any connection between this event and the long-standing joke of adolescent boys calling up pharmacies and asking if they have Prince Albert in a can. We also don't know how Prince Albert did in the doubles matches. But we will try and have that for you by next week's show. And on June 21st in 1956, Pulitzer Prize-winning American playwright Arthur Miller appeared before the House Committee on Un-American Activities. Miller refused to implicate others in communist activities, which made him kind of a stand-up guy. I also remember a moment in high school when I observed Arthur Miller walking across the front of our school lawn to visit the cast of The Crucible, which was being put on at our school. He went backstage beforehand and, and basically met the cast and said hello, and I always thought that was really cool. He was also Marilyn Monroe's third husband, which is something else I thought was pretty cool. 
Our quote of the day comes from Senator Dianne Feinstein, who, in complaining about a new book by David Sanger that reveals covert activities, said, You learn more from that book than I did as chairman of the Intelligence Committee, and that's very disturbing to me. We would add it's also very disturbing to Radio Parallax, but probably for different reasons. Our quote of the day comes from Jimmy Fallon who said a couple weeks back, First Lady Michelle Obama said if she could trade places with anyone in the world, it would be Beyonce. Of course, when the word of that got back to Barack, he said, Oh, I'm game. Our bonus quote of the day comes from Jimmy Fallon, or at least his writers. He said recently, Mitt Romney has been giving his volunteers a free sweatshirt for making phone calls on his behalf. These sweatshirts are just like Romney, 100% reversible. All right, our jokes of the day, and we have several, come from the current edition of Mental Floss magazine. An entertaining, but uh, if the truth be told, not always well-researched publication. But one section did catch our eye by Laura Turner Garrison, titled 10 Guaranteed Laughs from Your World Travels, noting that laughter may be a universal language, but not every country chuckles at the same jokes. Of course, warning, these jokes have explanations to go along with them. Anytime jokes have to be explained, that's, well, that's just a bad sign. First one comes from Egypt, which is, how do you entertain a bored pharaoh? Answer, you sail a boatload of young women dressed only in fishing nets down the Nile and urge the pharaoh to go catch a fish. To the addendum, why it's funny is added, well, it's not, really, but some sources do identify this as one of the oldest jokes in the world. Yeah, they were busting up at that one at the Temple of Karnak. From Uruguay, the joke, a girl asks an Argentine man for a light. He pats his trousers, chest, and back pocket. Sorry, he says, I don't have one, but wow. Do I have a great body or what? Why this is funny, they note that Argentine men have a reputation for excessive vanity among their fellow South Americans, and I can attest to that. And no one enjoys poking fun at them quite like the neighboring Uruguayans. From Burma, the joke, a Burmese man visits a dentist in India. The dentist asks him, don't you have dentists in Burma? Yes, we do, the man replies, but we're not allowed to open our mouths. Why that one's funny? Well, until its dissolution in 2011, the military junta that ruled Burma effectively outlawed free speech. Burmese comedian Zangar spent three years in jail for telling jokes like this one. And yes, it is our policy on this program to continue to refer to it as Burma. It's the ruling bad guy junta that decided it was going to be Myanmar. And by the way, we totally approve of the fact that An Song Suu Kyi finally was able to deliver her Nobel Prize speech this last week after a 21-year gap thanks to detention by the junta in Burma. And finally, we go out as we came in, I guess you'd say, from China. A chess player who thought highly of his own skill once lost three games in a row. The next day, a friend asked him how the games had turned out. I didn't win the first game, the chess player replied, and my opponent didn't lose the second. As to the third game, I asked him to agree to a draw, but he wouldn't. Under the Why It's Funny section was added, as you might guess, Chinese jokes are fairly straightforward, avoid political topics, and steer clear of depressing subject matter. We would hasten to add, and in this case, are sometimes not funny. And given the low humor quotient of those jokes, we're going to have to 
pep him up with this one. Said Jimmy Kimmel last week, Lance Armstrong may be in trouble again. An anti-doping agency accused him of using high-performance enhancing drugs. Federal authorities got suspicious when they noticed that an American was exercising. Our stat of the day is $5 million a year, as in what Mitt Romney will see in tax savings if he wins the election and enacts his own tax proposal. That represents half of what he would pay under President Obama's tax plan. Of course, if Obama does lose the election, he would also see his taxes fall by about $90,000 under President Romney. I guess it's not truly a statistic, but we can't resist it anyway. A poll on TheEconomist.com noted that when asked to name the hardest working country in Europe in a recent Pew poll, people in the UK, France, Germany, Spain, Italy, Poland, and the Czech Republic all named Germany. Interestingly, the Greeks named Greece. (laughs) We think someone's got that wrong, but we'll leave it to you to select who you think that might be. All right, and what is, I guess, a bit of follow-up from our speaking about the obituary of Ed Ray, Chowchilla uh, bus driver, back in 1976, when his bus got kidnapped. Apparently, one of the three young men from wealthy families who kidnapped and hid that busload of Chowchilla school children has gained his freedom after more than 35 years in prison, according to the California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation which said it would release Richard Schoenfeld later this month to an undetermined location. An appeals court earlier this year ordered Schoenfeld's immediate release after ruling that the Board of Parole Hearings unfairly set his release date for 2021, even though it concluded he wasn't a threat to society. Schoenfeld had remained locked up while the CDCR appealed to the California Supreme Court Last Thursday, the High Court notified the CDCR it was refusing to take the case. I have to admit, they did a really crazy, stupid thing, and a lot of people could have been hurt by it, but it is probably unlikely that Richard Schoenfeld is going to get out of prison and attempt to kidnap another busload of school children. In fact, we'll come back and talk about some much more idiotic things in our judicial system momentarily. But I do want to note the Sacramento Bee in its editorial pages exuberantly uh, uh, championed the cause of the Kings. In this case, the L.A. Kings, who I guess won the Stanley Cup last week. I guess the editorial board was so overcome by the fact that their name is the Kings (laughs) that they decided to waste some ink openly cheering for them. I also wanted to revisit the editorial notebook piece by Foon Ree, some time back, we was commenting about John Edwards and how he lived in North Carolina and basically had sort of crossed paths with Edwards on numerous occasions. Sort of had nosed at the conclusion of the editorial that, uh, that uh, Foonry noted that Edwards ended his, uh, his press conference after the jury locked up on his case, uh, hinting that he wants to do something big to help poor children around the globe, saying, I don't think God's through with me. I really believe he thinks... There's still some good things I can do. Said the editorial, his performance was inspiring and infuriating. In other words, it was quintessential Edwards. I have to ask, you found that inspiring? Said Mr. Ree, he could have been a great public figure, without much explanation as to why he thinks that could be true, but noting instead he'll go down in history as a deeply flawed human being. Well, yeah. 
I'm not sure also why Mr. Reed thinks that uh, Edward's taking $900,000 out of his campaign funds to hide his mistress was something that he shouldn't have faced the music for, but I don't know. No, I have to confess I'm still kind of a, a great fan of the special sections that appear in newspapers. And I must note that the tip I picked up from the Home and Garden section in the Sacramento Bee last year, which was that those fabric softener towelettes you toss in the dryer to make your clothes smell good work great to take the soap scum off your bathtub. I admit I was skeptical, but <laughs> I took one of those towelettes of bounce, swabbed it around my tub, and voila, the soap scum does indeed come right off. So I'm keen to test out the, the, the hint in the home checklist of last week's bee, noting that if you sprinkle baking soda on a damp brush and scrub and rinse clean, this will do wonders for your grungy barbecue grill. It was also recommended that for tough, greasy stains, you can scrub with a wire brush and baking soda paste, which is three parts baking soda to one part warm water. Clean. You should then rinse thoroughly with clean water. I don't know why, but I'm just a sucker for those kinds of, uh, of almanac entries. Such things as marvelous things vinegar can do for you around your house. Mr. McMillan would like to recommend uh, something you can probably find on the web of, what, 13 uses for WD-40? Sounds interesting. I do want to thank Dr. Keith Boston of Placerville for livening up uh, some notes back in medical school days with a similar hint which was that a fried egg placed in the bottom of your ashtray will allow you to extinguish cigarettes much more efficiently and prevent them from smoldering. <laughs> which, Keith, I'm still laughing about 30 years later. We do not want to admit uh, what some of you tell us is your favorite part of the show, so let's do the good, the bad, and the ugly. According to the Week magazine, it was a good week last week for idiots in administration with the news that Davis High School in Utah has been fined $15,000 because its vending machines dispensed soda during lunch. Federal nutrition guidelines allow schools to have vending machines, but they do ban sugary drinks with school meals. Said <laughs> a spokesman, you can buy a Coke before lunch and consume it during lunch, but you can't buy a Coke during lunch. Which makes perfect sense, doesn't it? It was, on the other hand, a bad week last week for the continuing costs of obesity, with, with the news that an Austrian crematorium burned down after attempting to burn the corpse of a 440-pound woman. Apparently, the unusual mass of body fat caused the oven to get too hot. And finally, it was an ugly week last week for Leticia Vester of Florida, who was arrested after allegedly phoning a bomb threat to her employer, Mentra Electronics, so she could get a day off of work. Said the local police chief, she's definitely getting the break she wanted at the Volusia County Branch Jail. I want to also note in the way of follow-up uh, the comments we made about Douglas Brinkley's book on Walter Cronkite. More, more particularly, Howard Kurtz's comments on it in Newsweek, which were just out of line. Apparently, Jonathan Tobin in CommentaryMagazine.com was equally out of line, but I don't even want to quote from him. 
Sipta said he was describing Cronkite as crooked in his bias. Joel Atzenbach in the Washington Post.com thankfully rebutted this by saying, We live in an era of the instant opinion and the ill-conceived rant. Walter Cronkite came to his views by real reporting. After the 1968 Tet Offensive, the network star flew to Vietnam to gauge whether the Pentagon's rosy scenarios about U.S. prospects there were justified. After painstakingly gathering facts, he created a turning point in public opinion by asserting during a 30-minute special that the war was unwinnable. Noted Achenbach, what's striking is how much energy, time, and money went into what amounted to a single, moderated, but firm verdict. He added, if, as Brinkley suggested, the Cronkite of 1968 opened the door for opinionated mainstream journalism, at least he knew of what he spoke. And our guest in the next section knows of what she speaks. What she speaks about is Homer and the reading of The Great Bard in Public. Let's take a short break and come back and continue our talk with Catherine Holvine. Yeah. 